morning, everyone. Uh, I got to do this twice. Um, it is so good to be with you today. My name is Matthew, and um, I've had the privilege of being the pastor here for a number of years, and this is my final Sunday as the pastor here. I want to begin by reading a scripture from the Gospel of John, it's a couple of verses from John chapter 12. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I've been trying to imagine for weeks now what I was going to say, given the chance to speak one more time, and what a huge gift it is to be here, and felt all this pressure to try to come up with something really profound to say, and I, I don't, um, I've, I've let myself off that hook, because none of you were doing that. Um, that was all self-imposed, as is most of the pressure I've lived under for years. Um, but I, uh, you know, so much has happened since the last time I stood up here, which was March 7th, and how would I have ever known then? that the next time I stand up here would be the final time, or at least the final time as your, as your pastor. Uh, but I suppose most major transitions in life work that way. We don't see them coming. They just sort of happen to us. They very rarely alert us, um, unless we're super intuitive, which some of you are. You're like, I knew this was happening. But most of us, this is kind of surprising, um, too. And, uh, and that's kind of what life is like. You know, it just sort of happens, and change is inevitable. Uh, um, and there's a part of us that resists that. Some of us say, like, no, I like change. And what we mean is we like to move the furniture around in our family room. But sort of major disruptive, like, life-altering change is very rarely a welcome thing for most of us. Um, so I um, want to just begin by, uh, I just want to begin by saying this, sort of as the beginning, this is the only thing I get to say today without crying. Um, I'll probably cry. But I just want to say I love you. And you all are so special to me. And that grief I've been feeling for weeks has made me so happy because it makes me know that I really did love you and that this wasn't just a place I was using. And I don't say that to brag. I actually think it's a miracle when God gives us love like that. So as a bridge to try to get to the end of the sermon somehow, I want to talk about something I've been learning. Hopefully I can exit my heart for a minute and just live in my brain. That would be great. <laughs> I've been reading this book. A guy got me a couple of months ago, definitely when he bought it for me. Probably did not imagine I'd be using it as a reference for my final talk here. But um, it's a book called Transitions by Dr. William Bridges. And I don't know how I've never heard of this book because it's one of the best books I've ever read. Uh, about life change. And, um, I mean, it's been marked up, read multiple times, dog-eared, all sorts of stuff. And uh, it's a book about uh, the inevitability of change, that, uh, that long-term stability is, is sort of an illusion, it's a dream, that things are going to be disrupted. And so the question is, when you find yourself in major transition, what do you do? How do you live into it, and I just couldn't recommend it enough. If you're like me, and you're in that like middle age, sort of like at the base of your, you know, David Brooks second mountain, and you're not quite sure what the second half of your life looks like, or you're coming from like not having kids to having kids, or living at home to being a student away at college, or being a student to having a job, or 
Um, or you just find yourself, there's a whole chapter in here about relational change and what happens when you find yourself 10 or 15 years into a major relationship, whether it's romantic or it's just a friendship, and the, ch- the relationship has shifted and you're not sure why and you want to go back and recreate the old thing and try to like have the experiences from when you're in, like, you're like, you can't do that. It's like, because relationships transition, because there's always change happening to things and how do we, how do we embrace this? A lot of us, when change comes to us, we, we do a few things. Some of, us, um, some of us just try to blitz through the change. Um, probably some, of, some people <laughs> didn't even come today because they're like, actually, I, don't want, I just want to get to next week. I don't want to have to live through whatever awkwardness will be watching a, a, a very tall man cry on stage. So I'm just going <laughs> to push through this whole thing. And we're the sort of people that like leave the party early or we'll pack up the truck and pull out of the neighborhood a day before we told the neighbors because we don't want long goodbyes. And we just call this ripping the band-aid off. Let's get to the next thing as quickly as possible. Others of us, this is me, hold on as long as possible. We don't want to let go of a thing. I cried all the way to college. and It was Chicago we were driving. I cried all, my parents are here, they can affirm, I cried for 10 hours uh, in the car on the way to school because I was so afraid, of, sad of losing this part of my life that I'd love so much and all my friends and leaving behind the, my whole social network. And, and so those of us who are in this place, we tend to feel all the feels, we experience all the grief, but we can get stuck in the grief. Or we can go on to the next thing and we try to recreate the old but with new furniture. You know, we try to like relive the past but with new people. And it very rarely uh, works. In fact, it's usually really unhealthy. Uh, And still others of us will find ourselves in more of a caretaking role. So we'll take care of the grieving ones, the ones who are sort of in a puddle over there. And we'll work out the administrative needs and we'll just sort of keep the details going. But it's also, that's a way of of avoiding our own sense of loss and our own sense of, of fear about the future. One of the reasons that, I mean, this book names it, this wasn't, I should have known this, but one of the reasons transition is so hard is because it begins with an ending. All major transition begins first with something ending. And, and um, endings are not things that we like. Unless it's a, the end of like a bad thing, like a bad job, we like that. Or if you're in a bad home situation and you get to leave the home and go off to school, or if you're in a bad relationship, those endings are, of course, welcome. But but nobody that I know of has ever been, like, happy that, like, a perfect night with friends ends. It's like, oh. Or, like, a, a really good book. You ever, like, finished a book and you're, like, immediately sad because you're, like, it's over now. And I can never experience that again. It's like endings are not, are not, are not usually things we like. So I was thinking, you know, 22 years ago, I think it was 22 years ago. Some of you were alive for this. Um, the Friends ended. Remember Friends? And um, uh, last season, episode 10, Monica and Chandler, they adopt the twins. They buy the big house in the suburbs. They're leaving New York City. They're going to move out to the burbs. If you don't know this and you're invested in season seven right now, I have no, I'm sorry. You've had 22 years. So the, the last episode, Monica and Chandler, they're leaving and, and as they're, do you, does anyone remember what the last thing they do is? The last thing, like, let's go get one more cup of coffee. And they all go down to Central Perk one more time, and they get one more cup of coffee. And I remember we were living in Chicago at the time, uh, my wife and I, I guess we weren't married yet, anyway. And I remember reading in the Tribune, like, this editorial, and it was just sort of this collect, it, it was sort of summarizing this collective American gasp, sigh of, like, no, we don't want it to be over. We just 10 more years of, of Thanksgiving Day football games on the blacktop outside or, or, ten, or Joey wearing a turkey on his head. Or We just want to experience this. Like, we, we, we're not ready for this to end. 
And that's a silly example, but it's like, I think it just captures that we just, when a good thing, when there's a good thing, like, we just like it to keep going. We would prefer it to not end. Now, not to ruin this book, um, he says that all new beginnings, this doesn't ruin the book, I mean, all new beginnings first start with an ending, but there's a middle section, there's a, there's a, there's a middle part of all transition, and that is what he calls the neutral zone, and it is the uncomfortable unstable like middle space between like what was which I knew and what is to be which I don't know yet and it is a very very uncomfortable place to be in it's a liminal space that's not a word I knew until a few years ago so liminality is that like in between it's like if you're walking down a flight of stairs before your foot hits the stair below that sort of like suspended in between space and it is not a space that people want to be in In fact, most of us will do anything to blitz through it as fast as possible. I am in a neutral zone right now. I know what I'm leaving. I don't know what I'm going towards. I know I'm going towards my family, but I don't know what's going to happen next career-wise or any like. It's an uncomfortable, disorienting. You feel vulnerable. You're at risk. You can't control things. It's very uncomfortable. Some of you are there right now personally in your jobs, in your relationships, in your families. Emmanuel is there corporately right now. You know where you've been. You're not sure where you're going. And it is not a thing that we enjoy. And yet, I just want to tell you, as much as this stinks, Richard Rohr, the Franciscan monk, says all transformation takes place in liminality. The biggest, deepest things in our life happen in that uncomfortable middle space when we are out of control. And so that's what you have to look forward to. That's what I have to look forward to. But we get, we get there first and foremost by having an ending Christians believe that things end so that something new can begin. I mean, this is what the gospel is, essentially. Because something dies, there can be new life. This is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 12. And certainly there's a lot of facets or lenses through which to understand this. But Jesus primarily is talking about his own death, which will be 24 hours from when he, he says those words. And yet, we can understand them as, as Christians uh, with this idea, like, that's how all the world works. Something, something dies. Something as until it dies, it's just it's 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 just a seed. It has it's it's raw potential, but but no fruition. It has to go into the ground. It has to die in order for there to be a fruition. The way to fruitfulness, to abundance, to new life, according to Jesus, is is death. <clears throat> and so endings, endings are the place where we put a thing in the ground, so that something can grow out of it. T.S. Eliot, um, in a collection of poems called The Four Quartets, has a section in a poem from Little Gidding where he says, What we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. And so, with what time I have left today, um, I just thought I I want to put this thing in the ground well. And um, I want to end this season well with you all by marking some things. A lot of tribal societies do a much better job of marking the major moments in life. Ancient civilizations do this. We don't do this super well. I want to try to mark this time. And I want to just spend a few minutes telling you what I have loved and what I'm going to miss. Um, This is not exhaustive, of course, as you can imagine. Um... I have loved baptizing your babies. 
I never baptized a baby before I became a priest because in my last church, we didn't believe in that, which I always was bothered by. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I have loved the opportunity to put my hands on the cheeks of your little babies and welcome them into the church. I've also loved baptizing the kids in here and the grown-ups. That, don't, like, that wasn't like a eh, second second-class <laughs> baptism. I just mean like there has been something so beautiful and remarkable in my heart around baptizing babies. And I think a couple things like, why, why was that the first thing that came to me? Which is very strange. Um, and it's because I think, first of all, it was always this reminder of how tender God is. Just how tender the gospel is. Um, and also, it has helped me remember that these little ones who have no um, volition, they have no agency over their life, you know. They, they don't get to choose to be in the church. Before they can choose the church, the church chooses them and says, you're a part of our family now. And um, I, I love it because it has reminded me every time I do it that what holds you and me together is not geography, it's not affiliation, it's not political, certainly. It is fam- familial that we belong to one another as siblings, which is the story that goes on and on and on. And it goes from the very beginning of our Bible with Adam and then Noah and then Abraham and then Jesus through the Holy Spirit. A family is being built. And I was talking to someone right before, and he, he gave me a big hug, and he said, there's no goodbyes. He's like, there's no goodbyes. We will feast in the house of Zion. We belong to one another as family members. And it was really fun to get to say that to babies before they even understood what you were saying. I have loved reciting liturgy with you every week, listening to your voices. I'm excited to get to lead one more time. Obviously, I'll continue to get to use liturgy wherever I go, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting to lead you all in that and, and watching you stand up uh, every, every week and do the Apostles' Creed and the confession of sin and so on because what it reminded me of week after week is that we are not alone. And a lot of times I think we feel detached and alone and I go out into the world from here and my faith gets picked at and nibbled at from a thousand different things and sometimes it feels like it's sort of crumbling in my hands and then I come back here and there's a few hundred of us and we're all believing a thing with one another. Like we're shouldering the weight of the thing that we cannot wrap our arms around beside one another. And I know that there have been times where you have struggled, some of you, probably many of you have struggled to believe fully the things that we're saying And that's the moment when you get to look around the room and say, these people are holding on to it for me. And there have been times when I have been standing here or on that floor, and I have been in that place, and you all have carried me and made me stronger in my faith. I'm going to miss that. Um, I have loved loved um, being invited into the most tender moments of your life. Um, One of the... I've told people this for years. I've never taken this for granted. I really haven't. Um, if only I've just come to love it more and more. I, to be just welcomed into the rawest parts of people's experiences is an incredible privilege. And to be trusted with these things is un- unbelievable. And I, um, I, can't, uh, I can't say enough what it's meant to be to sit on, in, in your houses and on your couches and on that blue couch out there and in the gray chairs and here after the service and cry with you and pray with you and, and as you unfolded your desires and your fears and your, your concerns and all the things and to get to be a part of those really big scary moments in a person's life and to be able to, to bury some people who are represented by folks sitting in the chairs in, in this room and, and to be able to also, the, like not just the sad things, but the joys. There's a number of young men in here that I've gotten to stand right here while they've stood right there and we've gotten to watch their wife walk down the aisle towards us and then we get to have this, it's the best seat in the house. You This holy little trio of, of, of promise and covenant happening at the front and what a gift. What an immense gift. 
to be invited into those spaces and also reminding me that really that's what God gives the church to us for, not just pastors, but we actually, in that sense, belong to one another. All of us can hold space. All of us can, as Bonhoeffer says, meet one another as bearers of the gospel. All of us get to hold space and carry one another's burdens. A um, couple more. I have, loved, uh, I have loved being invited into your questions. Um, the last time I was up here, I was uh, teaching... Actually, I think we were down there because we were still doing uh, television. We were still on television back then. And um, <laughs> we were still doing live stream. And uh, so we were on the floor. But Psalm 91 was, was the last sermon I gave, and I had and memorized that psalm that week. And um, I have had that psalm now bouncing around my heart for seven months. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his wings, and under his pinions you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Therefore, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks at noonday, nor the destruction that lays waste in darkness. A thousand may fall by your side, ten thousand by your right hand. It will not come near you. And then later, because you've made the Lord your God your refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. And I remember standing in front of you seven months ago while my family was still very much hemorrhaging and going, no evil shall be allowed to befall you? How do you hold on to the tension of this? And I just want to say, like, I have loved getting to sit in that tension with you for four and a half years. Because there are so much about, I think, following Jesus that is about being confused and conflicted and not understanding and looking to the hand to provide and it not moving or seemingly not moving. And I just um, thank you for trusting me with those questions. Thank you for letting me into your struggles. Thank you for continuing the holy work of, I think, the psalmist. Even Jesus on the cross had to wrestle with God. Jesus in the garden had to wrestle with God. I think this is what it means to be a Christian is to be a wrestler. Thank you for inviting me into that space with you all. I hope, um, I hope that maybe one of my legacies that I would leave behind is to give dignity to wrestling. That it's a, it's, it's not, you're not just supposed to swallow everything and just trust and obey. Yes, there, there's goodness in surrendering. There's goodness in trusting. In fact, there's an arrival point there, but not to shortcut it. I have loved and will miss deeply being... Uh, getting to work alongside some of my favorite people in the whole world. And um, when I first came here five-something years ago and met Ginny and Beth especially, I just fell in love with them immediately, and they became dear friends and sisters and are to this day. And then Micah, who I knew before I came, <clears throat> before he came here, but I've only gotten to know him deeper and more meaningfully since then. And, I, and then all the other people on this, I mean, uh, Alyssa and John Michael and Becky, and before Becky, Annie and... and um, Troy and um, oh, I hope I didn't just forget someone because I made the side. I just I I want like it's been such a gift to work alongside people, and I just I want to say that because of this. Like I'm not going to be here next week. I'm not going to be here in six weeks. And there's a reason we're like, why is he not here? I'm not here because the bishop said I'm not supposed to be here. He says if you want a bad guy, you can make it the bishop. Don't make it the bishop. He he loves you and he's wise, and he says you need to go away for a year so that the church can move on, so that the next person, whoever that is, doesn't have to deal with you in the room, <laughs> which is a real thing. I just want, I, I, the reason I say that is like, I would be here next week sitting under Jenny's preaching if I could. Okay? There is nothing but love and affection and, and re respect between us. There's no enemies. I leave with no enemies. I would sit here along with you in this place forever if I could. 
one of the reasons I cried so much is realizing I'm not going to get to do that for a long time. It's been a gift to work with these people. And then finally, I'll close with this. It has been a gift I have loved and will miss deeply getting to look at you every week and say the truest things to you, which is what I get to do here. And to watch people come in week after week sort of worn down and skeptical and, and, and just all the things that we kind of carry in us way down and fearful and distracted and thinking about. And just over the course of 25 minutes, week after week, getting to watch the truth from God's scriptures just soften our hearts and open us up to receive and begin to hope again and hold on to something real. It has truly been the best, the best thing to get to do that every week with you. And so I just want to thank you for the honor of it. In a world of 60-second you know, TikToks and 280-character tweets, to sit and listen to a guy for 25 minutes every week is an incredible thing. And I just want to tell you I never took that for granted. Um, so we are um, coming to the end. I, I want to I close us out by, by reading another part of that psalm that, that Micah led us in this morning which was very hard. At first you're like, oh, this is pretty. And then at the end it's like, the wicked, the wicked, the wicked. God's laughing. They will die. And I was like, this is an intense psalm. Glory be to the Father and to the Son. So I want to read like a later part of the psalm. Um, <laughs> not to rescue the psalm. It's a real thing. Um, but uh, there's another part later on that I have loved since I was a kid, actually. Because my mentor would always pray it in prayers. I've told you about him a lot. Um, but Mike would always pray this with, with me. And Psalm 37. Our steps are made firm by the Lord when he delights in our way. And though we stumble, we shall not fall headlong. For the Lord holds us by the hand. And then this verse, which I've ne- I, 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 when I was young, I couldn't wait to say it one day. I feel like I can say it now. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging bread. They are ever giving liberally and lending, and their children become a blessing. And Jesus, we thank you that the faithfulness that you have shown to us and to the church for thousands of years, that nothing will prevail against the church. And that it continues on in different forms, in different ways, in different places, under different people, and yet always under your good leadership. You are our good shepherd. You are the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. And we just thank you that our steps are made secure by the Lord. That you delight in our way. And that we can trust you. We can trust you with the future. We can trust you with our fears. We can trust you with our hopes. I'm just aware suddenly of just like, I mean, how much hope is in this room right now and, and hope for a, a certain kind of future, a certain kind of relationship, whatever it is. And often hope is deferred and then we get afraid of it. I pray you would make us, make us childlike in our willingness and ability to hope again, that we wouldn't be beat down by cynicism, which hardens us. Soften us, Lord, to truly believe that Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that you have prepared for those who love him. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ, our hope. Amen.